read this scripture from the, from the screen with me right here from Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Read this out loud and loudly together. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion. God said this from the very beginning. He said, uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth subdue it and have dominion. Today we're kicking off this series that I'm looking, I've been looking forward to uh, on dominion. God said, have dominion. We've walked through each of those words over the past several months, and so this is the final part to this series that uh, has covered the entire year to this point as we talk about dominion. Dominion is an important topic. Dominion kind of sounds exciting, Dominion is uh, oftentimes misunderstood. Dominion, um, it, it helps to clarify who's in charge. Have you ever worked in a situation, maybe at a job, where it's not clear who's in charge, right? Maybe there's two different bosses, and they both either have equal authority or they think they do, and one is telling you to do this or saying, this is the direction we need to go, and someone else is saying, no, this is the direction we need to go, and this is what you need to do. And when you're in a situation like that, that business doesn't get very far down the road because no one is clear on who's in charge or who has dominion there. This happens in, in uh, the workplace, happens in churches. I, I've, I've experienced, I've probably been the, uh, the culprit for causing a lack of clarity at times even myself, but I've worked in ministry uh, projects where it's not clear on who's in charge and, and someone says, this is what we're doing and we start doing it and all of a sudden someone says, no, let's do that. And then everything comes to a halt. Sometimes in your family, it's not clear who's in charge. Mom is saying one thing, dad's saying another. Don't, don't even bring mama, mother-in-law into the situation, right? That can get real dangerous. And then the kid, kids are born thinking that they rule the roost, right? So they think they're in charge. And when you have a family like that, when there's not any clarity on, on like, man, who's calling the shots here? Who's setting the direction and who's setting the course? And, and when there's no clarity in that, then that family doesn't experience the peace, doesn't experience the unity, doesn't experience the joy that uh, is intended. And so it's so important for us to understand dominion because we live a life here where, again, some of us, some of us are, are um, just facing these challenges, man, and we see, can't seem to get past these things. When in reality, God says, but you're the one that's in control. Some people are saying, no, God is in control. God is in control. You ever hear somebody say that? Of course you have. Maybe even you've said it. I've said it. Well, there is a degree to where that's true, and there's a degree to where that's not true. Did you know that? Do you know the Bible doesn't say that God is in control of everything? Did you know that? Some people say, well, God is sovereign and God is in control. So, so what they're really saying is, I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know if I have the the faith, the courage, the authority, the ability to, to direct this, and I don't know uh, it, what God's going to do. So I'm just going to say, whatever happens, God is in control. God is in control. But we need to get back to the Bible and say, is this what God says? Is this what the scriptures say? We don't, wanna, we don't want to uh, misunderstand what God says. We don't want to sit there and th- blame God for things that aren't his doing, Right? We want to know who's in control, who's responsible here. Well, we just read that scripture about dominion. God said uh, to Adam and Eve, man, I'm giving you dominion over all the earth. Well, what's that word even mean, 
dominion. This is how it's defined. It's the power or right of governing and controlling. So when God said to Adam and Eve, he said, I'm giving you the power and the right to govern and control the earth. I'm giving you the power and the right to govern and control the earth. It's, it's sovereign authority. And the Bible's telling us that God said, I'm giving this over to you. Now, authority, dominion, it begins and ends with God. All authority, all dominion, it comes from him. There is no greater authority, even the authority and dominion that God gave to man on earth. We're still subject to God. We don't overrule him. But it's as if God created the heavens and the earth, and then you see he got to his crowning creation achievement there uh, in the creation story, and it's man. And he says, everything that I've made, I've made it for you. You rule here. You have authority. You have control. You govern this earth. I'm giving it over to you in my place as a representative of me. God gave it over to man. Now, this is important because sometimes when people think God's in control, they kind of get this picture like God's in the driver's seat and we are in the passenger seat. And whatever happens, God's the one that does it. Wherever we go, God is the one that made us go there. And, and uh, I think a better picture is the opposite of that. I think a better picture is not that God's in the driver's seat, But what you see from the scripture is that really God put you in the driver's seat. He's in the passenger seat. And I don't mean in the sense that you're controlling God. But the reality is, is that God is giving you direction and you have the free will to go there or not. You have the free will to to follow his instruction, listen to him. In fact, we have, if we want to exercise the dominion that God's given us, we really don't do it on our own. We do it by listening to him pressing into him. What do you say? Where should I go? Because he knows. How many of you think God knows a little bit more than the person sitting next to you? Yeah, more hands went up all of a sudden, right? Like, I know God knows more than him. In fact, my doorknob knows. No, I'm just kidding. No, don't say that. This is church, people. Don't say that about the people next to you. Rude. Well, listen, God, God is not... He's not subject to us in that passenger seat, and he's not below us. That's not what I'm saying at all. It, it's almost like we're the chauffeur. Where do you want to go? Where should we take this? And, uh, he's, it, and sometimes, you know what? I think God says, well, where do you want to go? I want to go with you. I want to go. What's on your heart and mind? And even if God says that, well, God, how do I get there? How do we go? What do I avoid? What r- routes do I take? You see, God, God has given dominion over to man. He's given dominion over to man. We would do well to follow his instruction, though, and listen to him and not try to live independently. In fact, when Adam and Eve started to get independent is when things, when they got into trouble, when they got into trouble. Now, in the garden, and and let me just tell you where I'm going with this, because we're going to talk about how to exercise dominion. We're going to talk about some of the areas that God has given us dominion over and so forth, and, uh, and, and how to walk that out. But I think it's so important for us to understand from the Bible uh, a foundation for what we're even talking about. You see, I just started off where God first initiated giving dominion, and I said God, dominion begins and ends with God. Of course, the dominion came from God. 
And at the very end of the book in Revelation chapter 1, the Bible says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. At the end of the time, all kingdoms, all authority, all dominion, it's all going to be belong back into the hands of the Lord our God. And He's going to rule and reign on earth. Ultimately, that's what we're gearing up for. We know that, that in terms of our life, man, like whatever time is since creation till Jesus comes back, it's just like a little blip on the you know, timeline of eternity. And so over here you know, on the side of the blip before us, that's all God. And that's all where it's began. And then we know on the other side of the blip there, that all of that is, is completely ruled and, and, and exercise all dominion is by the Lord. But somewhere on this little blip here, he said, man, I'm giving it to you there at your time and your place on earth. When they got independent, they got in trouble. You see, again, we were to be dependent on the Lord even though we have dominion. So God's saying, I am not exercising rule and reign on earth apart from you. God gave that over to man. And so man now is a representative of God. He has full authority of God as if God was there. He's created in the image and in his likeness. And there he is on earth. And, and I don't know how long he had this gig before it was up. I think it was like probably a very short amount of time because the Bible says that, that here they were in the garden and God had said, don't eat of this fruit. And then Satan comes in and says, hey, look at this fruit. And he starts to talk to Eve, and he says, you should eat of this fruit. And she said, no, I shouldn't eat of it. I shouldn't even touch it, because if we do that, we're going to die. And then Satan goes in, in Genesis chapter 3, he says, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He starts to deceive him, and he says, you know what? What God said is not true. You need to listen to me. So it's kind of like he, you know... Adam and Eve, they, they left the doors unlocked, and uh, Satan kind of got in the passenger seat and squeezed himself in there and said, listen to me now. Don't listen to God. Listen to me. Do what I say. So, so here's the deal. Satan couldn't get authority from God. Did you know there is no power struggle between God and the devil? There's no power struggle. It's not good versus evil in that sense, like, you know, maybe God's going to win, maybe the devil's going to win. God is not struggling to maintain his power away from the devil. He's not. There is no struggle on God's part. There may be an attempt on the devil's part, but God is not struggling. In fact, Jesus said, listen, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. Before Satan was, you know, the the, the bad guy with the horns and tail that we, we picture him as, which the Bible doesn't describe him as. Uh, that's just, you know, some imagery. Uh, the Bible actually says he's an angel of light. He's probably appealing. You would look at him and you wouldn't think, oh, you think, oh, right? I mean, that's kind of how the Bible describes him. But he is a liar and a murderer, but he's like a, an attractive liar murderer, right? And so... What was I even talking about with that? I'm like, wow, the angel, the angel of light. He wanted the authority of God. He wanted to, to sit on the throne of God. He wanted to rule and have everyone bow down before him. The Bible kind of gives us that picture in places like in Isaiah and Ezekiel and so forth. And uh, God said, nope. <laughs> it was that done. It wasn't like, hey, what should I do? It wasn't a fight, a battle, a struggle. God said, you're done. And, and he was done. 
So he didn't have the ability. The Bible doesn't teach that he's trying to get it from God, get that authority and reign and rule from, from God. Uh, he instead decided to go after man. And he couldn't just take it, but he, he could get uh, Adam and Eve to yield it to him. You see, God gave authority and it was passed on. Man had authority and he could keep it or he could pass it on. And so when he submitted to the word of the enemy, when he submitted and surrendered and he listened to the devil as opposed to God, he surrendered his authority. He yielded his authority. He submitted his life to the enemy. And the Bible says sin came in at that point. In um, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. And then as a result of that, now all of a sudden, we have man who has delegated dominion and authority from God. But, but if that's the case, how is it that we talk about the devil doing things? Like the devil did this, the devil did that. And it's one thing to talk about it, but we also see it in the Bible, how he oppresses people, afflicts people, deceives people, causes trouble, stirs stuff up. Some people, some of you here, you've been attacked and harassed by the enemy. And uh, you might think, if you're not careful, that that's just the way it is. That's just the way life is for you. But I want to tell you, that's not the way that God intends it for you. He wants to turn that around. And so the Bible says in, in uh, five, 1 John five nineteen, the whole world around us is under the control or the sway of the evil one. So from that point when sin entered the world, Satan all of a sudden, he usurped authority from man. And he got access here on earth to harass, to control, to even dominate man. Because men weren't submitted to God, that sin came in. And, and you know when God said, you're, you're going to die if you eat of that fruit? Well, did they die? Yes and no. They didn't die physically immediately. It's not like they ate it and poof, they're out. You know, it's not like that snow white apple or whatever where they're gone. No, they, they, they ate of this and then something happened. There was a spiritual death that they experienced, though physically they were alive, but spiritually they were cut off from the presence of God. And the glory of God that covered them before was now removed. And that's why they saw themselves as naked before. They had no more clothes on before than after, but they were covered with the glory of God and covered all their shame. And afterwards, they became ashamed of themselves and they tried to cover themselves up, which is what we always try to do. When we do something wrong, how, you know, you ever notice this, that, that you try to cover for yourself? You do something wrong, you're embarrassed about it. You don't want to come out. You don't want to tell anyone. Sometimes you don't even want to go to God. You ever feel like that? How come it's like when we're doing well, we think that, oh God, your grace is so good to me. Your grace, God, you're showing up in my life. But when we're not doing well, we feel like all of a sudden we don't deserve it. And so, so we don't want to run to God as, oh God, your grace is so good to me. And thank you for doing this in my life and just loving me and forgiving me. It, we kind of want to hide from God as if we deserved it when we were doing well. As if like when things are going good and you're, you're in faith and you're, you're walking in obedience to God and you're, you're helping old ladies across the street and you're at church, you know, even when the church is closed and you're waiting for it and you're reading your Bible, like you're, you're memorizing the maps in the back. I mean, you think, I am on it spiritually. God is so good. 
And then all of a sudden you do some things bad and you have a bad week and you keep, you know, that mouth keeps flapping and it won't stop anybody, know somebody with a mouth like that. And then all of a sudden you think, oh, I can't go to God now. Shame. Well, God didn't turn people away. He didn't turn them away. He doesn't push them away. We're as uh, in need and eligible for the grace of God on our worst day than we are on our best day. The worst day you have where you just blow everything, guess what? You're just as eligible to receive the grace and the mercy of God than you are on your very best day when you nailed everything right. Everything right. Well, Adam and Eve, they're there and they, they, they gave over that authority. They surrendered to the enemy, uh, Satan. In fact, I said the world is under the sway of, of the devil and, and it's important to understand that, that the devil is at work and does have influence in this world now. He does. In fact, when he was talking to Jesus, when Jesus was fasting in Luke chapter 4, it says, then the devil, taking him up high on a mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All the authorities, all the kingdoms, all the nations. He says, and the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. You notice Jesus didn't argue with him, though. Jesus didn't say, no, no, you don't, you don't have that. You can't do that. Jesus understood, devil, I know you've got it now, but you're not going to have it for long. You're not going to have it for long. He said, the Satan said to him, therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. All will be yours. This is just how the devil works in our life. He tries to tempt us with something that belongs to us anyways. Sometimes he tries to get us to go after something that God has for us, but the difference is he tries to get us to get it in the wrong way. All that authority, all those kingdoms, all the people, all of that belonged to Jesus already, and it was coming his way. And Satan knew that, but he said, hey, listen, if you do it my way, then I'll give you what you want. This is how sin and temptation works in our life. Many of us work so hard for something that God really wants for us, but we're doing it on our own, or we're doing it in the wrong way. We think that the ends justify the means, right? We think that, hey, I know that God wants this for me, so if I just do this, if I go against this, you know, God, God will be okay with it. Satan wanted Jesus to bow the knee as opposed to taking the cross. There may be some things in your life that God has for you, but the only way to get from here to there is through the cross. And if you keep trying to take a shortcut, you keep trying to do it your own way, you might get bits and pieces of it, but it won't last. How long do you think it would have lasted for Jesus if he would have bowed the knee to Satan? Do you think that, would, that he would have been able to keep everything? Absolutely not. Jesus, instead of arguing with him or talking to him about it or considering the offer, he said, get behind me, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. And that's what some of you might need to do in areas of your life right now where there's a temptation to go after maybe even a good thing, but to go after it the wrong way. This happens in relationships. We see people who, man, they're lonely and they want a relationship. Maybe they have their physical needs as well. Like, man, I, I, you know, the Bible says it's better to marry than to burn, right? Like, like, but it just happened one night. Well, guess what? 
You went a different way to get what God said belongs to you, that he has for you. You start compromising in your physical relationships to go after something that God said he would love to give to you. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get what God really wants. You're going to have a relationship that's not built on trust. You're going to have a relationship where you're kind of ashamed or embarrassed about before the Lord. You're not going to walk in the blessing of God because you're not doing it his way. It's so important to recognize what is God's way? What is God's way? Well, that's how Satan, he got his authority in, uh, from man right there through the garden. And so he still has a bit of control. So that puts us in a situation where, and I know God has control. I, I, I know man has control. And, and I know that, that Satan has control. And, and oftentimes, the three of us conflict, Right? Like the, God wants one thing, and he says, do it this way. The devil, he wants another thing. And by the way, you know what he wants? He wants to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he does not come except for that, even though the promises might look good initially. He might be that attractive, tempting, appealing angel of light. But in the end, he's going to stick you in the back. In the end, you're going to come out with less than you went in with because he's going to steal in the end, you're not going to be built up. You're going to be broken down. But Jesus said, but I've come that they might have life and life to the fullest or more abundantly. So God was wanting one thing. That was wanting another thing. Sometimes we're caught in between and we're thinking, but I want something totally different than both of y'all, right? And so this is where it gets us to the point where we need to understand God's plan with dominion because he gave it to man and he never took it back. And though Satan has usurped it, God's intention and desire is that it's still in the hands of man. And so after a while, between the time of uh, Adam and Eve being, you know, getting started there in Genesis, down through, uh, we get to Noah's time, Noah's time. And you know, you know what happened around Noah's time, right? What happened with Noah? Flood, right? Flood the earth. Well, prior to that, the Bible says that the hearts and, and, and of people were exceedingly wicked. They were always thinking about evil all the time. And God said, we need a do-over right here. We need a do-over because I don't know how long it is. It could have been quite some time, 1,000 years, 2,000 years, 3,000. I don't know how long it was between there and Moses or Noah. Some of you guys probably, you know, you were there. You know, I can, or close to it. Don't let these gray hairs, you know, fool you. I'm still a spring chicken. Um, anyways, they got exceedingly wicked and God hit the reset button and he flooded the earth. But he, he said, I'm going to... Uh, save Noah and his family because Noah's a righteous guy and he's going to follow me. And so God starts working through Noah. After the flood, people begin to call on the name of the Lord again. But because of the influence of sin in our life and the work of the enemy, people kept getting brought under subjection to sin and bondage and the, the uh, oppression of the enemy. But yet God's desire is still that we would rule and reign on earth. And so God's looking around and he finds Abraham, Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, we see God start to talk to this guy named Abram. And he says, the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great. And you'll be a blessing and I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God finds a man and he makes a covenant with him. And when God cuts covenant, which is something we'll be talking about next month, 
in our new series and small group series, God Swears, when God cuts covenant, he makes some irrevocable promises. And with that, it's, there's the shedding of blood that takes place, and we see him sacrificing an animal, and God walking through the midst of that blood and saying, if I break my promises to you, let what's done to this animal be done to me. God is saying this to Abraham, and he gives Abraham some promises, and ultimately, uh, the biggest deal in all those promises was that the Savior, the Messiah, he's going to come from your lineage. He's going to come. He's going to be one of your descendants, Abraham. I'm promising that he's going to come through you. He also promised him land. And that land, he said, you're going to have and all your descendants are going to inherit this land, but it's not going to come your way yet. In fact, it would take 400 more years for God to give the land to the children of Abraham or the children of Israel. 400 years. That's a long time to wait on the promises of God. Have you ever waited on the promises of God for a while? It could seem like a long time. Abraham not only uh, had that promise given to him of land, which he didn't see with his own eyes, but he did have a promise of having a child and, and something like 25 years after God promised that he would have a child, Abraham finally had a kid at 100 years old. You know what happened? There was a delay that took place between when God promised it and when it happened. How many of you guys have heard the promises, but yet you haven't seen it happen in some area of your life? Is there at least one person who said that? There's at least one thing. Listen, delay doesn't mean denial. Just because the promise has been delayed doesn't mean that the promise of God to you has been denied. I've seen people over and over throughout the years that have a tremendous amount of promise on the inside of them. And they have a lot of opportunity. And there's even been times when I'm working with someone and I'm thinking, this person's got it. They got what it takes. They got the call of God on their life. They've got the anointing of God. Uh, I need to take some time to, to see their character. I need to take some time to, to build rapport with them and make sure they work well with others. But I believe this is a person who's going to be strongly influential. And I've even had their names written down like this person would be ideal for this role. And then within a week of getting up to that point, they grow impatient. Maybe they get upset and offended and they won't, they won't humble themselves. And then they, they, they run off. And they were just like days from receiving promotion. Some of you may be days from receiving the promise of God in your life. Don't give up. Turn some, to somebody next to you and say, don't give up. Delay is not denial. God is faithful. So among all these promises that God gives Abraham, he also gives him dominion. And he says, you as a, and those who are part of your family and in covenant with me, you will exercise dominion like, unlike those around you. So where men around you are subject to the enemy still, I'm going to take you out of that. And I'm going to give you authority and dominion over that. And so you see things that God says to him in places like 
Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 28, this is to his people, to the children of Israel, the people of the covenant. It says, now if you shall, it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Verse 6, blessed shall you be when you come in. And when you, blessed shall you be when you go out. He's saying this to a select group of people that they will have the blessing of God coming and going with them like no other experiences. In verses 12 and 13, the Lord will open to you as good treasure, the heavens, to give you rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and, and care, are careful to observe them. God is saying, Abram, children of Israel, people of my promise, those who follow me, you're not like everybody else. And I'm giving you some promises. And when God speaks promises, it's as if he's writing a contract out with you. And he's saying that this is going to give you certain ability and authority that not everyone else has. It only pertains to those who are in contract or in covenant with God. And he says, this dominion belongs to you and to my people. And so we see the children of Israel, God's chosen people, uh, continue to walk this out. You see it happen over time through Joshua. You see it happen with judges who really start to help bring the people freedom. But you don't see it to any greater degree than you do during the time of King David and King Solomon's reign. God found David and he said, I found a man who's after my own heart, a guy who's going to follow me and listen to me and do what I said. How many of you guys want to be like that? I know I do. I want to be someone who God says. Not that I say, God, I'm after your heart. Yeah. I want God to say, there's a person who's after my heart right there. Who's after my heart. Well, David's a man of war. We might not, you know, because our image and desire and picture and so forth, perspective on war changes at different times. But when you're oppressed by your enemies and someone from your camp starts kicking everyone's butt, you start to believe in war, Right? Like, man, when everyone's bombing me, killing me, you know, all my people were oppressed, we're slaves, we're all this. Uh, we don't like that kind of war. But when someone on the inside here rises up and starts fighting on our behalf and starts kicking all, you know, their tails and winning battles, all of a sudden, I believe in war, man. I believe in victory that comes from that. Well, David was the one who did that for the children of Israel. And he started experiencing victory and, and driving out the enemies of God's people from their own land that belonged to them. But all these enemies had taken, you know, territory and, and inroads and so forth. And David is, is kicking them out one after the other. And he's experiencing, you know, all kinds of, of favor from God. And, and he's surrendered by God. What is he doing? He's exercising dominion from the promises of God. And it gets to the point that when David passes on the kingdom to Solomon, that Solomon, King Solomon, you know, the wisest man on earth, he's wise because he asked God for that wisdom. And that's how he got it. It's very simple. How do you get so smart? He asked God and God did it. You know, sometimes in your life when people say, hey, how'd that happen? You just have to be honest. You know what? I'm not that good. God did it. God, God helped me with this. God showed me with this. Well, when Solomon became king, the Bible says that Israel had rest on every side. None of their enemies were messing with them at all. 
No one dared. In fact, they were paying tribute to them. Not only that, but they were coming and saying, hey, tell us about your God. Tell us about why you do what you do. This is the picture, probably the best picture of God's people exercising the dominion of God, living out the promises of God. But unfortunately, it was short-lived. It was short-lived. Soon after that, the kingdom's divided. Uh, Things go downhill fast, all the way to the point when you get to Jesus showing up, that the children of Israel were now under dominion of the Roman government and authority. And so Jesus comes in and he says, we got to address some things here. We got to talk about some stuff. And so he does. When, the, when Jesus came, the children of Israel were heavily taxed in their own land and they lost much of their freedom. That sounds like they're not exercising God-given dominion. But Jesus began declaring that through him, the kingdom of God had now come and this kingdom would overrule all kingdoms. And so he starts to look at people and he starts to minister to them. Now, I want to talk to you just briefly about how Jesus reinstitutes dominion because he, he, he starts ministering to people and he raises up his disciples that, you know, we call them the apostles, the disciples, but he tells them before he goes, uh, after Jesus exercises dominion, you know, he's going about and he's, he's healing the sick, he's setting people free, He's restoring uh, sight to the blind. He's healing the brokenhearted. He's setting at liberty those who are captive. And then before he ascends to heaven, he, he, after the cross, after he dies for our sins, the, the, the primary uh, point of his ministry, he says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe Everything that I've commanded you, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And he, he tells him, as he passes it on. He says, the things that, that I've been doing, I've been exercising God-given dominion. I've been fruitful. I've been multiplying. I've been filling the earth. I've been subduing the enemy, dominating. And now I'm passing this back on to you, the church, the, the, the followers of Jesus Christ. And he says, go and make disciples. You know, you know what, he, what it is? exercising the dominion, it's not necessarily like, man, we're going to come in and we're going to set the government straight and we're going to set all the laws straight and we're going to rule with a heavy fist and we're going to make everybody get in line. You see the exercising of dominion that Jesus did. It's not some big cosmic thing. It's more like this. Hey, you, come here, come here. What's going on in your life? Oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear about what's happening in your family right now. I want to pray with you. And is there anything I can do? Oh, you're struggling with this. Come here. Come here. Tell me what's happening. You know what? God loves you, and he can get you free from that. This is exercising dominion. Let me, let me share with you what Jesus has done. Exercising dominion isn't coming in and yelling and screaming and punching. Exercising dominion is speaking the words of God to people and helping them get free. I'll show you. I'll show you this. You said, I don't believe you. I'll show you. I'll show you. There, there, there's things that, that are, are, are taught in the word about how areas we have dominion over specifically, like sin. You know, so many things that we deal with, the bottom line, you can call it, man, this is my struggle. This is my weakness. This is the issue. You can call it whatever you want. When you boil it all down, it's a three-letter word. It's sin. And, and, and man, this trips us up all the time. And, and the quicker we can just acknowledge it and admit it, the quicker we can get to the solution for it. 
But so often when someone's struggling and going through some stuff, at the root of it, there might be pride, there might be, I I opened my mouth, or I was insincere, or dishonest, or I was sharp, or, you know, I did something. And and, um, the Bible says this, it says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. In Romans 6, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. So how you exercise dominion in your life or in someone else's life, in someone else's life, you just say, hey, hey, you know what? Jesus loves you and he forgives you for that. He wants you to be free from that. Another area is bondage. Some people are bound with addictions. You know them, I know them. They're not just those who are out there. Some of us sitting here are struggling with some stuff. And people would say, well, if they wanted to be free, well, you know, if they would stop doing this. Listen. They, 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 whoever they are that you're not talking to, chances are want to be free and are stuck because sin is sticky and bondage is sticky and it happens even to God's people. And there are some who don't want to be free for sure. And some of us, we've given up. Some, some people here, we've given up on being free. We just, you know what? I just can't overcome this. But the Bible says this about bondage. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You've got a Father who loves you and sets people free from addictions just like yours. Bondage is just like yours. Fears and insecurities just like yours. You know what you're doing when you start to walk somebody through that? You're exercising dominion. Hey, let me help you get free from some other dominion. Let me help you take charge so that you recognize sin is not in control of your life. Bondage is not in control of your life. Sickness is not in control of your life. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So many things in our life center around sickness, illness, physical weakness. Those things throw us off. They cost us money. They cost us time. They cost us joy. And God said, They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. There's dominion there when it comes to illness. Some of you have experienced it in your own life personally, and you've seen God work through you on behalf of others. Don't back down on that. I don't care if you're praying for somebody and it hasn't happened for 25 years. Delay is not denial. Delay is not denial. Poverty, Matthew 6.30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus said, you have dominion over poverty. That's why when Jesus said, I've come to preach the gospel to the poor, it's not just so the poor can get a sermon while the other people get good stuff. It's because the solution to get out of poverty, out of that financial debt, out of that spirit of poverty, that generational pattern of poverty, it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have dominion over that. And the last thing, of course, is Satan. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like heaven, like, like lightning from heaven. He said, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That dominion that God gave from the very beginning still belongs to you. And though we know the enemy's at work and he still tries to get us to back down on the authority that God's given us, he still tries to convince you that you're going to be stuck in certain situations, that you're limited by whatever comes your way, you know, chance, 
coincidence, whatever happens. He tells you those things, but don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? When God said, I give you dominion, we never say, we never see him saying, and now I'm taking it back because you guys squandered it. No, God's desire and dream for you is to live according to the plan he intended from the first, from the beginning. And yeah, there's been some things that have shifted and, and, and happened, you know, some little snags in, in, in the plan that the enemies come in, but God's in control. <laughs> God knows the outcome, right? And if you let him give you the direction and you invite him, speak into my life, get me back on track, get me right on the route, you know, like you, the GPS, you know, you get off track, recalculating route, right? You know, Siri, you know, we got Jesus, right? Holy Spirit, recalculate my route, get me back on track, help me to get free and help me to get other people free from this stuff as well. That's what it is. That's how you start to exercise dominion. So you'll meet people who are struggling, sickness, sin, poverty, bondage, the devil, and uh, whatever it is, you just simply start to minister to them. You start, you love on them, just talk to them gentle. Hey, what's going on in your life? Let me share what God says about that. And, and let's see and turn this situation around. How many of you guys believe that God wants you to reign? He wants you to rule. He wants you to not be subject to the enemy anymore. 